This is Guns and Butter. They gave the highest priority to the development of technologies that have a dual use. And dual use means that we can use it for both the military and for law enforcement. Uh, it specifically states that these non-lethal weapons are to be used against domestic adversaries. And that this definition of adversaries is to be used in the broadest sense of the term. Uh, that includes those who are really not declared enemies but are engaged in activities that we wish to stop. Like maybe speaking up about the fact that you're being subjected to something illegal. Speaking up about improprieties in defense funding, which we've seen. I've talked with naval officers, career naval officers, that blew the whistle on defense funding. And within two weeks after that, this guy's hearing voices in his head and he's labeled as delusional and discharged from his post. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Dr. Terry Robertson. Today's show, Electromagnetic Frequency Research. Dr. Terry Robertson is a board-certified anesthesiologist who has been in private practice since 1995. He is the past president of the Kansas City Society of Anesthesiologists. Since 2008, Dr. Robertson has served as chairman of the medical committee for Freedom from Covert Harassment and Stalking, or FFCHS. FFCHS is a nonprofit organization formed in 2005 that is an advocacy and support group for targeted individuals. The goal of FSCHS is to educate the public about the lack of laws prohibiting non-consensual human experimentation and to inform the public that U.S. military intelligence agencies and third-party contractors have been developing directed energy technologies that can interact with human organisms. Such technologies have the capability to cause injury to organ systems, influence psychological behavior, or be used as communication systems in a silent manner that is perceived only by the intended target. These technologies can be used in a covert fashion that makes it difficult to track the user. Dr. Terry Robertson and Dr. John Hall hosted a meeting for targeted individuals at Sonoma State University on October 2, 2010. Dr. Terry Robertson. Well, thanks. It's good to be here. Uh, I'm Terry Robertson. I'm also a physician. I'm also an anesthesiologist like John. I'm from Kansas City. Just a little background on me. My background is a biology major. I was one of these guys studying animals and plants in college and ended up in the field of medicine. So as far as physics and engineering and all that, this is something that I don't have much experience in. I've had to kind of educate myself a little bit along these lines. Um, you know, what I've found is that most people that become activists, and that's what I qualify myself now as an activist, they, they become activists for one of two reasons. They're either directly uh, have an insult to them, or they know somebody that has had something happen to them. And without going into any further details, I'll just say I qualify. Okay? Um, but as a result, probably about, oh, it was in 2007, I started doing a lot of research into, to kind of find out with some of the stories that I had heard, uh, several 
several people around me started demonstrating symptoms and specifically voice to skull symptoms and noticing other things I, I began noticing odd behaviors and I started doing a little research it, it, it was very bizarre almost automated uh, talk I would say and I started doing research and mainly via the internet at that point I, I came across the freedom website and that's freedom from covert harassment and surveillance and for those, most of you, I'm sure, know that or know who they are, but if you don't, it's a group of what's called targeted individuals. At that time, they had about four or 500 members. They were formed in 2005. And it was people, like John said, they were all complaining of the same symptoms, um, either auditory and not all. The, many of these people have varied symptoms, and I'll get into that later. Uh, but people complaining of being harassed, stalked, various... Uh, odd physical symptoms that, that felt like electrical current going through them, electrical shocks, fatigue, depression, unexplained emotional symptoms, uh, auditory symptoms, hearing voices. Many people, they said they start off as hearing voices of their neighbors. They think their neighbors are spying on them, hearing voices of their family. And invariably, these people kind of degenerated over a period of time to where their life was kind of in shambles. And that's kind of the typical scenarios John alluded to. It starts off as, it's, it's a, a rattle your cage kind of campaign is, is what it is, is to emotionally unseat you. And then, uh, as we've kind of found, is that many of these people will act out. They'll, they end up getting restraining orders from their neighbors because they act out against their neighbors. Neighbors calling the cops on them. He's acting funny. Uh, he's hearing things. He thinks I'm doing something to him. And they invariably end up getting uh, committed and get a mental diagnosis. And then get put on psychotropic medications, which are not benign. They have a lot of side effects. Uh, so that's kind of, of what I found when I looked at the profile of this group. And in the process of getting involved with this group, uh, you know, the first thing I wanted to do when I, I contacted them, I contacted Derek, I said, I want to get in touch with professionals in your group. Because so many of these people that I talked to uh, were people that, for lack of a better word, were having difficulty coping with their life. They couldn't maintain. My goal was I need to get people that are functioning within this group, people that are highly educated, people that are professionals, and most importantly, maybe people that have some knowledge. You know, do we have any insiders that are involved with this group? And through that, that's how I got directed to John. Uh, he said, well, we've got another doctor here. And there's been a couple physicians within the group, which is who I mainly wanted to talk with, being a physician, see if they had any ideas of what was going on. So that's how I kind of became involved with the Freedom Group. And how I became involved more as an activist, There, many of you probably know who Jim Guest is. He's a state senator from Missouri. Uh, Jim, at about two years ago, was trying to introduce legislation in the state of Missouri. They were actually trying to pass legislation that would have allowed employers to mandate that their employees be chipped with an RFID device. And Jim came out, and he's, he is the uh, founder of what is called LARI, L-A-R-I, that's the Legislators Against the Real ID Act. Um, I wrote to Jim at that point and uh, offered him some support of his legislation, and oh, by the way, I'm working with this other group, and here's what we're doing. 
in the interim, this group had, had met. We had a meeting in L.A. a couple years ago. Uh, at that time, it was decided we needed to form several different committees to try to uh, become more organized and attack this in more of a, a professional manner. I volunteered to be medical director or chairman of the medical committee. Whatever that means, I'm not sure what we do. I'm not functioning as a physician for any of these people. Um, I'm mainly trying to, you know, research the literature, uh, research and effects of what may be happening to them. And, and I'll get into some of that later, too. But that's how I became involved with that. Uh, became involved with Jim Guest through this letter. He actually called me back and said, hey, you're somebody that sounds credible, probably because I've got letters behind my name. <laughs> You know, I, why that uh, gives me credibility, I don't know. But Jim said, you sound like you're credible. And I'm like, well, hey, I'm working with another credible guy by the name of Dr. John Hall. And uh, I'm like, you know, Jim, we'd like a chance to meet with you. And he said, well, you know, I've had a lot of people that call me. And uh, he actually has a radio show on the Republic Broadcasting Network. He said, I'd like you and John to come on and do a show for us. And that show turned into four weeks straight. And that was in November and December of 2009. I kind of went over the whole history of everything. MK Ultra, microwave uh, research, Pandora project here, uh, everything, up into the technologies as they're evolving today. And if anybody's interested, you can go to the archives and, and listen to all that. There's a lot of information that we threw out there. Some of it's I'm drawing from there is what I'm going to cover today. The Jim Guest Show. It's on the Republic Broadcasting Network, and you can go there and listen in the, on the archives. Uh, the main goals of the Freedom Group, as I see it, are, one, to educate the public. That's what I try to do when I talk. I try to provide information that's referenced and documented that's irrefutable, because most people don't want to believe this. I wouldn't have believed this. We've been hearing for decades about people complaining about the government, or whoever it is, is sending voices into my head and reading my thoughts, and these people are crazy. And well, now that I've started looking into it, our Defense Department's been putting a lot of money into these technologies and has been researching this stuff for 60 years. And I'm going to go over some of that here, just so everybody's familiar with it. Uh, the Freedom Groups also mainly is a support group. It lets these people have somebody to know that, and Richard here, Centeno, he mans the 1-800 line. He's usually the first guy that they talk to. And Richard can tell you the state that most of these people are in when uh, they get there. They're frantic. They're lost. They don't know who to reach out to. They're desperate. So this group provides support for those people. They advocate for legislation against non-consensual human testing, and they also advocate for investigation into the organized stalking and electronic harassment. And that's one of the main goals why John and I tried to put this together today is how can we bring some of these knowledgeable people and throw our different areas of expertise together to how do we attack this problem? How do we go about compelling somebody to legislate and investigate? The things I want to talk about today, like I said, I'm going to just... I'm going to talk about what's out there as far as legal legislation that does not protect us against non-consensual human testing. Uh, what's been proposed and never passed, what the Freedom Group has done to try to interact with some of the people that can help pass that. I want to talk briefly about some of the uh, 
research that's been done and admitted in the past into mind control technologies. Many other people here focus on directed energy weapons. The things that I've mainly focused on are what are termed psychotronic weapons. Uh, it's been long known that uh, radio frequencies, microwave frequencies, all of these have direct effects on your nervous system. Andrija Puhart, back in the 70s, did a lot of research on the microwaves uh, frequencies, uh, on entrainment. The entrainment uh, phenomenon, as John mentioned, is if you expose yourself to a pulsating frequency, your body pulsates. Your body is an acting living electromagnetic organism. You are a radio receiver and transmitter, whether you know it or not. If you subject that body to an external force, an external uh, electromagnetic field, with time your body will adapt and become what that external magnetic field is. So one of the things that Puharic found is if I expose you to a 6.6 hertz electromagnetic field is that you will become depressed. If I expose you to one that's at 11 hertz, you will become agitated and riotous. And we all discovered this because the Russians were bombarding our embassy. And the people in our embassy over there eventually got sick. They suffered from what's known as microwave radiation sickness. Our ambassador over there died of leukemia. And they kept this all hidden, even though they knew it was going on, because they wanted to study it. This is our government wanted to study the effects of what the Russians were doing to the people in our embassy. They decided to give them a pay grade increase after they finally notified him six years later once people started becoming ill. This is how we treat uh, the people in our country. Um, the last thing I'm going to go over is, is some of the demographics of, of the community survey profile that the FFCHS has done. And it's pretty interesting when you look at it. This, the people that have been picked out, it's, it's unique from the general population, so we'll go over that. Um, so I'm going I'm to go over the legislation first, because that's kind of dry. So if you fall asleep, take your nap now. Uh, anyway, uh, people are familiar with what's known as the Nuremberg Code. And they say, we entered into this after World War II because the Nazis were performing experiments on people. The Nazis were doing mind control studies back then. Well, what we don't know is that we ended up bringing about 2,100 of those Nazi scientists over to America in Project Paperclip and incorporated them into our institutions and into our, what was then the OSS and now the CIA, and let them continue doing what they were doing. The Nuremberg Code was made in 1947. It's 10 ethical principles for research, and that's all it is. It's a code. It's principles. It's not international law. There's no fines, there's no criminal penalties. So it's something you're supposed to adhere to because it's the right thing to do. Uh, there's the Helsinki Code, which was adopted by the World Medical Association in 1964. It covers medical research ethics. It's the same thing. It's just a code. These are international ethical codes. As far as law in our country, in 1974, the Department of Health, Energy, and Welfare created what's known as a in the Code of Federal Regulations, uh, Federal Policy for Protection of Human Subjects, it's uh, Title 45, Part 46, it's what's known as the common rule. It's what mandates how to treat human subjects in any human subject testing that's done. There's 17 different agencies in our country that perform human subject testing. Uh, these fall under medical research, which is under the Health and Human Services. 
Uh, and then there's all of the military and intelligence agencies that do their own human subject testing. Uh, in 1991, the Health and Human Services adopted what's known as the common rule. These other 16 agencies have never fully adopted it. They've only adopted parts of it. Uh, under the common rule, you have to set up an institutional review board that reviews everything that's proposed as research. It has to be approved by them. You have to obtain informed consent. Um, the HHS also has specific rules to protect what they call vulnerable subjects, and these are people that are pregnant, fetuses, children, and prisoners. There's a long history of non-consensual research on prisoners in our country as well. Just because they've erred uh, doesn't mean that they should become a guinea pig. Now, what's funny is that if you go in and, and look at some of these, uh, the military agencies, they have a, a specific little opt-out that it says, unless otherwise required by law, that they may waive some or all of these provisions. So basically, they can do whatever they want. Okay? So the problems with this is that, like I said, not all the agencies have adopted it. It's voluntary. Um, if you're not seeking federal funding of your research or FDA approval of the product of your research, you don't have to abide by the common rule. So if you're getting private funding or if the FDA is not going to approve whatever you're doing, you don't have to abide by it. Okay? So that's what's out there that is supposedly protecting people. Pretty weak. You're listening to anesthesiologist and activist Dr. Terry Robertson. Today's show, Electromagnetic Frequency Research. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Most people are probably familiar with the Tuskegee syphilis studies. They were conducted for 40 years from 1932 to 1972, uh, funded by the National Institute of Health. Okay, they got 400 uh, black men in the South that were infected with syphilis and said, we're going to treat you because we've got a new drug. It's called penicillin. It takes care of syphilis pretty easily. Uh, they didn't treat these people. Instead, they decided that we're going to observe you over your lifetime and determine what the effects of syphilis are. So they didn't tell these people. How many people do you think they infected? How many children do you think they bore that had syphilis? This would never have been known if a reporter had not published a report in the New York Times in 1972. Every study that I will talk about today, we would have never known if it hadn't been unearthed by the media. Interestingly, just yesterday, I'm sitting in the hotel room with John, and we're watching, and uh, Secretary of State Clinton comes out and gives out an apology to the Guatemalans. Oh, by the way, at the same time we're uh, doing our syphilis studies, we went down there with the Guatemalan government approval, uh, infected them with gonorrhea and syphilis, and encouraged them to have sex with their partners. And so we give them an apology. You know, 60 years later, sorry, that's, that's how we work. That's how these unethical researchers do their business. They hope it goes on long enough that most of the people will be dead or that they'll be gone by the time it comes out. Uh, other things that I want to mention. COINTELPRO, 
we wouldn't know about that if that hadn't been unearthed by the media. MK Ultra, same thing. We wouldn't have known about that if it hadn't been unearthed by the media. Common theme here. Unless the public finds out about this stuff, nothing's going to be done about it. And even with MKUltra, COINTELPRO, I think the general feeling is, is that it just went darker. It went underground. Because what we're seeing now, it's got the same earmarks as what was going on then. Okay? It just drove it darker and more sophisticated. 1994 came out in the paper in the Albuquerque Tribune. Guess what? We've been doing radiation experiments on you for 40 years. This includes things like dropping bombs in the desert southwest, what was called Operation Plum Bob, so that we can follow the fallout patterns. Uh, X-raying prisoners' testicles. We're going to give you a couple bucks. These, at least, they told them what they're doing, you know. We want to see what, if we X-ray your testicles, what will happen. Well, they were trying to sterilize them. They were injecting uh, pregnant women with uh, radioactive substances, injecting various people that came into the hospitals with radioactive substances to see what would happen. Again, an investigative reporter came out and uh, unearthed it. And this was uh, funded by Health and Human Services, Department of Energy, uh, Department of Defense, the VA on their veterans, and NASA. Eli Lilly was using homeless alcoholics for their research. You know, we'll use whoever we can, the people that we think are expendable. And we, I think we all know that our U.S. military has used our, a lot of our men because uh, they view them as property of the U.S. government. We'll do whatever we want to with them. Anyway, after this came out, uh, there was a little uproar. And Senator Glenn... John Glenn, the astronaut from Ohio, came out in 1997 and introduced what's known as the Human Research Subject Protection Act, Senate Bill 193, would require all research facilities to register with the Health and Human Services, including all military and intelligence, and that they must comply with all aspects of the common rule, put out criminal penalties, and made it a felony to experiment on anybody without their informed consent. The bill died in the Senate. Why? That amazes me. Why? At the same time, President Clinton introduced what was called Strength and Protections for the Human Subjects of Classified Research. This was a memorandum. Uh, he recognized that it's in the nation's best interest to allow classified research, which I don't have a problem with especially if it serves national security. But he said that he had concerns about the exceptions to the informed consent requirement. Uh, he said that we need informed consent from all human subjects, prohibits the waiver of informed consent. The, the subjects must be informed of the, the identity of the agency sponsoring the research. The subjects need to be told that the research is classified. There must be institutional review board approval, the IRB must have a non-government <coughs> member as part of their board. Uh, you must maintain permanent records. You're not allowed to shred them anymore like we did in MKUltra. Okay. Well, that memorandum sat around. And about 2002, the DHHS published it as an interim proposal in the Federal Register. 
uh, it's never been ratified. I went and looked on the Federal Register website yesterday, and specifically in the year 2002. I can't even find any mention of it anymore. It doesn't appear that it's around. 2001, Dennis Kucinich, also from Ohio, introduced what's known as the Space Preservation Act, H.R. Bill 2947, and he is a representative, not a senator. He wanted to implement a permanent ban and the removal of all space-based weapons, uh, immediate permanent termination of all research, development, testing, manufacturing, production, and deployment of such. I don't imagine that went over too well with many of these Department of Defense contractors. Uh, specifically, he mentioned uh, the use of directed energy directed at individuals or targeted populations uh, for the purpose of information war, mood management, or mind-controlling such persons or populations. Uh, specifically mentioned uh, such exotic weapon systems as electronic, psychotronic, and information weapon systems. Uh, his bill got passed, had a different number on it, and didn't have anything to do with uh, space-based weapons. It was gutted. Um, you know, the only other thing, Cynthia McKinney, who was a Democrat in Georgia back in 2006, introduced H.R. 1026. She wanted to reopen the COINTELPRO hearings. Well, she didn't get reelected, so they didn't look at her proposal. Um, one other thing, actually two other things. Uh, according to, and this is interesting, Chapter 32, Title 50, Section 1520A, regarding the War and National Defense Chemical and Biological Warfare Program, restrictions on the use of human subjects for testing of chemical or biological agents, exceptions under 1520B, exceptions to that, any peaceful purpose that's related to a medical, therapeutic, pharmaceutical, agricultural, industrial, or research activity, uh, part three, any law enforcement purpose. What does restrict it then? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound like anything. Uh, Executive Order 12333 under President Clinton again regarding uh, United States intelligence activities under collection techniques. This is specifically regarding the CIA because uh, we all know the CIA is not supposed to be doing any domestic operations in our country, and we're sure they don't. But it says under uh, 2.4 collection techniques, uh, subparagraph A, your agencies are not authorized to use such techniques as electronic surveillance, unconsented physical search, mail surveillance, physical surveillance, or monitoring devices unless they're in accordance with procedures established by the head of the agency concerned and approved by the Attorney General. Except these procedures shall not authorize the CIA to engage in electronic surveillance within the United States except for the purpose of training, testing, or conducting countermeasures to hostile electronic surveillance. So if they want to train or test on you, they can. There's nothing out there that protects any of us. That's one of the problems with this. Uh, one of the things that the Freedom Group has done and that both Dr. Hall and I were able to sit on is we, through a lot of persistence, have been able to contact some senators and I know people have been doing this for decades, and they haven't gotten anywhere. That doesn't mean we're going to stop. Uh, last year, I believe it was, probably about June, we got a hold of uh, Senator Sanders in Vermont. Independent. Independent. 
And actually, I was looking up on the data here. According to our data, we don't have a single uh, person from Freedom that's uh, in Vermont. So I'm not sure how we, how we got him to work, but somebody did. Uh, we had a conference call with them for about 30 minutes. We were able to talk with his aide, Cecilia Thomas, uh, regarding our concerns. Concerns being, one, there's a lack of protection for non-consensual human testing. We need legislation against that. Two, we need somebody to look into the fact, we, and I went over some of the other facts of, look, there's been development of psychotronic weapons that's been admitted. We've got people complaining of symptoms consistent with that. There's a past history of illegal research. There's a past history of illegal surveillance activities, i.e. FBI COINTELPRO and CIA chaos programs. This is all consistent with that. We'd like somebody to investigate that. Uh, the response we got back from them is that uh, she said, because of the budget right now, we're not able to sponsor such legislation. They didn't say they didn't have enough money to investigate this. I think what they said was uh, our attentions are focused on other priorities at this time, and that, that being the budget. Well, there will always be a budget problem. We support what your group is doing. However, we'd be happy to co-sponsor legislation if you find somebody that will co-sponsor it. That's the first positive response I've seen. So at least we have one positive response. I will mention that just last, uh, it's probably been about two, three months ago, we had a similar conversation uh, that one of our constituents had arranged with Senator Burr of North Carolina. We are still waiting for a response. I talked with her on the way up here. She said, I talked with him. They haven't come to a decision yet. They haven't said no, they haven't said yes. Michigan does have a law specifically outlawing uh, electronic harassment. They, I think they're the only state that I know of. Okay, oh, that, that, that doesn't stop them. Do I think this is all non-consensual human testing? No. I think this is purposeful. Uh, like John said, this very well may be a, a long-term, life-long project. You know, look at the past history of these, these projects. You know, 40 years, we're going to follow you until you die from your syphilis. You know, let's see how long it takes them. Can we drive them crazy? What extremes can we push these? If we look back at the MKUltra projects, they were basically studying how much, some of them specifically, how much stress can we induce into a person? And one of their projects, I forget which one, uh, focused on the use of radio frequencies to induce stress into a person. Uh, at least six of the MK Ultra projects focused on the use of uh, radio frequencies and remote control through radio frequencies. You're listening to anesthesiologist and activist Dr. Terry Robertson. Today's show, Electromagnetic Frequency Research. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. One other thing about the legislation that I want to touch on, in 1994... The Department of Defense Directive Policy for Non-Lethal Weapons under the Office of the Assistant Secretary of Defense. It was passed in 1995. Uh, this governs their policy of who has control of non-lethal weapons, who can do the research. Uh, before that, it had been the Department of Defense. Uh, this mandate transferred the responsibility of that over to the Department of Justice. So now law enforcement is, is able to do research with these technologies. 
the problem with this is that this policy is not subject to any public review process. Uh, they gave the highest priority to the development of technologies that have a dual use. And dual use means that we can use it for both the military and for law enforcement. Uh, it specifically states that these non-lethal weapons are to be used against domestic adversaries. And that this definition of adversaries is to be used in the broadest sense of the term. Uh, that includes those who are really not declared enemies but are engaged in activities that we wish to stop. Like maybe speaking up about the fact that you're being subjected to something illegal. Speaking up about improprieties in defense funding, which we've seen. I've talked with naval officers, career naval officers, that blew the whistle on defense funding. And within two weeks after that, this guy's hearing voices in his head and he's labeled as delusional and discharged from his post. There's a program to this. It's well orchestrated. It's used to drive you nuts, incapacitate you, get you jailed, or get you in a mental institution is what we believe. The fact that they switch this over to the Department of Justice uh, allows the Department of Defense to subvert international law that specifically prohibits testing, uh, weapons testing on your own citizens. We let our police and FBI, CIA, whoever falls under the Department of Justice, NSA, they can all do it now. What's interesting, you know, Nick Begich, who we tried to get to come here, he's been before the European Parliament, you know, talking about the HARP system, talking about all of this. A lot of this information I get from Begich and I get from Cheryl Welsh's website, the Mind Justice site. You know, and the other one I always direct people to is, you know, Eleanor Raven's site, raven1.net. It's got a lot of information. And I think all of these are accessible off of the Freedom freedomfchs.com. They've done a great job. For anybody that hasn't read a Begich book, I recommend going to his site at earthpulse.com. When they presented this to the European Union and to the United Nations, the U.S. representatives refused to participate. Okay? So that's what we got legal-wise. That's all the dry stuff. Okay? Um... I'm going to throw out a few of the, the references. I mean, for anybody, and especially since I see we're recording this, you know, I imagine this will be distributed. For, for people that have any doubt that we've been researching this, I'm going to throw some documentable references out here to you. In 1950, the Russians published a communication called Biological Radio Communications by Vasiliev. Our United States Air Force Foreign Technical Divisions translated this. And this is probably one of the oldest and most complete, from my understanding, it's about two inches thick, uh, covering the ability to basically communicate with the human nervous system and and the human as a radio transmitter. Uh, It specifically talks about the ability to input thoughts into the human brain at greater than what they call 12 channels. They said at greater than 12 channels, you recognize these thoughts as your own thought. At less than 12 channels, you recognize that somebody's putting a a foreign thought into your head. So this is back in 1950. They had already recognized the ability to do this. Um, Interestingly enough, for those of you who don't know what the woodpecker signal is, right after I talked about the Moscow signal, which was when our embassy was getting bombed, 
ham radio operators started picking up a, a frequency signal over here, and I forget, I want to say it was at 8.83 gigahertz. I might be wrong on that. But that was the radio frequency that they were picking it up at, but it was pulsating at a 10 hertz cycle, which falls in the ELF, extremely low frequency range, which are psychoactive. And, you know, they kind of threw it, originally said this is some over-the-horizon radar technology, but the fact was they already had satellites up. At the time, they had the woodpeckers. They didn't need over-the-horizon radar. And it was detectable everywhere on Earth except in Russia. So their thought was the Russians are trying to do something to alter the psyches of everybody else in the world. Okay? So it's interesting that they would have published this data that we know that, and then suddenly there's a signal all worldwide uh, that's traced back to the Russians that, that's coming. And, and from what my understanding, that may still be around. Um, I saw a report with uh, uh, Robert O'Becker, who wrote The Body Electric, uh, somebody that worked on Project Pandora for the CIA, and I think it, it was from about 2000, so as of 10 years ago, he said the signal's still there, may still be around. Okay, some other examples. Uh, June of 96, the U.S. Air Force Scientific Advisory Board published uh, the New World Vistas, Air and Space Power for the 21st Century, talking about what they called biological process control. And this is a, uh, it's a document where they're talking about future projects or what they envision doing. And they talk about weapons for inducing paralysis, sleep induction, and mind control. This is 1996. Uh, they envisioned the development of electromagnetic energy sources, the output of which can be pulse-shaped and focused, that can couple with the human body in a fashion that will allow one to prevent voluntary muscle movements, to control emotions and thus actions, produce sleep, transmit suggestions, interfere with both short-term and long-term memory, and produce an experience set or delete an experience set. False memories and deleting memories. They talk about using the microwave auditory effect. I won't go into what that is. You can look up the how that works. It's basically through a thermal expansion technique. This is something that Alan Frey found in the 1960s. It's been around. Sharp and White found in 1973 that you could use microwaves to carry audio transmissions directed at somebody's head, and they will hear a voice from the center of their head or the back of their head. Okay. Um, they talk about, let me get here, modern EM scattering theory raises the prospect that ultra-short pulse scattering through the human brain can result in a reflected signal. This can be used to construct a reliable estimate of the degree of the central nervous system arousal. The concept behind this remote EEG is to scatter off the action potentials of the, of the neurons or ensembles of the action potentials and it's basically, I, I draw the analogy to this is like using radar. You're sending energy in, it bounces off, you're able to pick it back up. Now, I don't think they're using a radar system per se. They may be, I don't know. fact is, this shows they're researching this stuff, or we have interest in researching this stuff. What's interesting is that the U.S. Air Force actually bought one of the patents, and I think, I don't have the guy's name, I think it's either Laughlin or O'Laughlin, that specifically talks about communicating from a distance via the microwave auditory effect. Uh, now, some of the things that I've read about the microwave auditory effect, they say that to actually use this, that the power that is generated from using microwaves 
over a period of time would essentially cook you. So that may not, a lot of people out there are fixated on the idea that it is microwaves that are being used for this alone. It may be, it may not be. I think what we find through going through all this is that they've probably researched every single imaginable way to do this, and that does include implants. I'm not going to get into implants today. The U.S. Air Force also had a publication called AFRL, that's the Air Force Research Lab, Technology Horizons, where they talk about creating sensory deception through synthetic images or holograms. And similar to use it to confuse the senses of sound, taste, touch, and smell. A lot of the people talk about weird feelings on the bodies, genital manipulation, what they term electronic rape, weird smells, seeing things. And when they say they're seeing the things, these things tend to look like a hologram. They're either three-dimensional in a pastel-type color, or they tend to be a white outline against the wall. Well, and the thing that I'll get into, too, and I don't, I'm, I'm just going to touch on this. I don't know that much about it, but many people have, many of the new scientists are starting to think that the mind actually functions in a holographic fashion, that it functions as a digital processor, like your computer. It's not an analog processor. It can process digital information. And this is, I'm going to talk about Eldon Bird here in just a second. Um, if you're mind, if your brain truly is a digital processing organism, that makes it all the easier to do a direct brain-to-computer interface. Because you got one digital processor to another digital processor. Okay? Another thing, let's see, another reference. Uh, 1998, in the U.S. Army War Quarterly Parameters, Lieutenant Colonel Timothy Thomas from my hometown Fort Leavenworth. I get to live next to Fort Leavenworth. Uh, wrote an article that I'd recommend you all read. It's called The Mind Has No Firewall. He expands on this concept that the brain is actually a living computer. It can be inputted. Data can be extracted from it. He did a lot of review of the Russian literature. Uh, in it, he writes, there is an entirely new arsenal of weapons based on devices designed to introduce subliminal messages or to alter the body's psychological and data processing capabilities. These might be used to incapacitate individuals. These weapons aim to control or alter the psyche or attack the various sensory and data processing systems of the human organism. In both cases, the goal is to confuse or destroy the signals that normally keep the body in equilibrium. Uh, he provides a definition of psychotronic weapons. You go out and mention psychotronic weapons to the layperson, they're going to look at you like you're psychotronic. Okay? His definition is that these weapons are those that act to take away a part of the information which is stored in a man's brain, it is sent to a computer which reworks it at the level needed for those who need to control the man. And the modified information is then reinserted into the brain. These weapons are used against the mind to induce hallucinations, sickness, mutations in human cells. We're talking about changing DNA, cancer, sickness, zombification. Ever seen anybody on Thorazine? Or even death. Included in this arsenal are VHF generators, X-rays, ultrasound, and radio waves. 
Russian Army Major Chernyshev, writing in the military journal Orienteer in February of 1997, asserted that psi weapons are under development all over the globe. Well, I don't doubt him one bit. I think they are. You're listening to anesthesiologist and activist Dr. Terry Robertson. Today's show, Electromagnetic Frequency Research. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. 2008, I believe in June, there was a published statement that the University of California, Irvine, here in your home state, is now undergoing research with Carnegie Mellon and New York University Institute, uh, funded by the U.S. Army into synthetic telepathy. Go look at their website. They talk about soldiers being able to communicate with another soldier on the field by only thinking. They're using some of the data supplied by Patrick Suppis, who's at the Stanford Research Institute. He had five published articles in the late 90s where they basically were able to decode an EEG. They had a subject look at a word. They looked at his EEG, said, you're reading cat. They extended that to looking at objects, full sentences. And then the research just disappeared. I'm like, where did it go? Why did they stop at sentences? Why didn't they go all the way to paragraphs, books? I imagine it was bought up. What's funny is that that type of research, the EEG decoding, uh, was already done back in the 70s, 1972. Same place, Stanford Research Institute did it with Pineo and Hall. I also find it's funny that they're only being funded with $4 million. How far is $4 million going to get you? I find it funny that they would publicly admit that they're doing this research. It's underfunded. It's a public admission. I think it's a whitewash. That or it's a slow disclosure. According to Eldon Bird, uh, he gave a lecture at the U.S. Psychotronics Association in 2000, I believe, uh, he quoted a article that, uh, again, quoted, so this is hearsay, hearsay, hearsay. Anyway, uh, Major General Sidney Shacknow, Fort Bragg, where they have their PSYOPs head, uh, admitted in 1997 that they were already researching synthetic telepathy and that they were using magnetic lasers or lasers uh, working with elf waves to do synthetic telepathy at that time. So we got to wait another 11 years for them to fund $4 million? $4 million isn't going to buy you a decent researcher for very long. Okay? Uh, another interesting thing, uh, silent sound spread spectrum. Uh, original patent by Dr. Oliver Lowry out of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, the company name is Silent Sounds Incorporated. This technology... According to the literature, it's now possible to use supercomputers to analyze human emotional EEG patterns and replicate them, then to store these emotional signal clusters on another computer and at will silently induce and change the emotional state in a human being. They also state that their, uh, their product, uh, they were unable to disclose any of the schematics of it because it had been bought by the U.S. government. They also admit that it was used during the Persian Gulf War. Uh, there's reports of Iraqi soldiers in mass laying down their weapons. And they admitted that it was, it's been used both over radio waves or radio 
in Iraq, as well as the Commando Solo aircraft, which are mobile aircraft that project radio transmissions. They're using this stuff. Um, if anybody has a chance, I recommend reading John Ronson's book, The Men Who Stare at Goats. Watch the movie. It's very entertaining. you got to love a movie where you've got Jeff Bridges as the old hippie trying to teach every, all the soldiers how to be psychic spies. The movie doesn't go into anything about the electronic technology. Read the book. John Ronson personally talked with John Alexander. Doesn't paint a very good picture of John Alexander in the book. Uh, he also did talk with Dr. Oliver Lowry and got admissions from him. And what they said was interesting. Uh, the person he talked with said that the people over there that had these subliminally impanded fears is that they have serious problems getting them out. So after they put these subliminal messages into somebody, I guess that's what you call collateral damage. Okay, The men who stare at goats... John Ronson, R-O-N-S-O-N, I believe. He's an investigative reporter based out of Britain. You know, Terry, you mentioned Fort Bragg. I was, uh, just to let everybody know, I just was on the phone with a, one of the sergeants from Fort Bragg who contacted me. Uh, he's not part of the 4th POG, which is the 4th Psychological Operations Group there. But he is, uh, he's with a combat unit, but he is recognizing that there's a lot of problems on base at Fort Bragg, and they are using the guys on that base as guinea pigs there. And it's perfectly legal for them to do so. Um, they're writing off a lot of it to combat stress, but a lot of these guys are coming back and uh, killing their wives and killing themselves. The case he contacted me about was about a soldier who was found guilty of uh, serial rape. Had raped about 10 different women on base, has no recollection of doing it, and his sergeant says that uh, he knows this, uh, this soldier very well and it's not in his personality, and he truly has no recollection of doing it despite being caught in the act of doing it. So, I mean, there is there is something going on in Fort Bragg as well. Thank you, John. All right, I'm going to mention two other things real quickly. Some of you have probably heard about this Russian doctor by the name of Igor Smirnov. Uh, I have a personal, I, I don't want to say love affair with this guy, but uh, you'll find out why. Uh, Igor Smirnov was a, a researcher using psychotronic technology. Uh, he mainly was using his technology to help treat people with uh, addiction and alcoholism. And he came up with what is known as acoustic psychocorrection. It was basically a way to interpret the EEG. He would determine where the problem lied and then would uh, re-input back subliminal messages uh, after he determined what your problem was. And the reason I mention it is because he was brought over here in 1993 by uh, Janet and Chris Morris, I believe, uh, who are some of the big proponents of mind control and non-lethal weapons use. And uh, I think we're working with Clinton at that time. 93 would have been Clinton. To try to get those incorporated. Okay, and specifically, if I, I forget the name of the organization. Anyway, he was brought over uh, during the Waco standoff. And it is well publicized that the FBI brought him down because they wanted to use his technology. He met with the FBI, uh, DIA, and DARPA, and I believe the CIA in, in Virginia. And they wanted him to go down to Waco. And we want to use your technology 
uh, in this standoff that we've had. And in the standoff, it appeared they were already using a lot of uh, PSYOP-type things anyway. They were using loud sounds, keeping them up at night. Uh, they wanted Smirnoff to use his technology. We want you to pump subliminal messages in uh, either one, over the phone line, or two, he said, I don't need the phone line. I can do this with the white noise of your cars running out here. I don't need the phones. And they wanted him specifically, and this is somewhat humorous. I would laugh if it wasn't true. They wanted him to hear the voice of God as played by Charlton Heston telling to give up. Uh, reportedly, he never did it. The reason I have a personal interest in Igor Smirnoff is he made one other appearance while he was here in the United States, and that was at the University of Kansas Medical Center for uh, Psychiatry Psychology Grand Rounds in 1993. I happened to be a resident in anesthesiology from 92 to 95 at Kansas University Medical Center. I did my internship there. I served as a medical student under many of the people, residents, and faculty that were there. I have been able to talk with one of them about the appearance. Uh, they were mainly interested in him uh, being able to use the technology there for the treatment of alcoholism and addiction as he saw it best fit for use for a helpful purpose. Uh, I haven't been able to talk with more of them. I'm in the process of doing that. The demonstration that was given from what I heard is that he subliminally implanted the message into somebody that was outside the room to bring him a piece of cake. And he, some short time later, the gal comes walking in and gives him a piece of cake. So somewhat humorous, interesting. But I think, again, what all this shows, these are all very varied techniques that I've talked about. We've spent a lot of time and money developing, researching every technique to influence thought, emotion, behavior, make you hear things, make you see things, smell things take over every aspect of your psyche. So if you have any doubt, do the research. Go out there and look. It's out there. It's happening. This isn't science fiction. Your, your nervous system will pick up any impulse that is fed to it. That's why they've investigated everything from ultrasound, infrasound, uh, infrared, every, every aspect of the electromagnetic frequency spectrum has been investigated on how to interact with you and control you and manipulate you. I think the mad scientists are the ones that are developing it. I think you've got some people with some serious psychopathology that are implementing it. Okay, you Look at uh, George White in the MKUltra projects uh, when he finally, on his deathbed, was quoted basically as saying, where else could I have had so much fun being able to kill people and do it legally? He's the one that's most likely been linked to the death of Frank Olson, who was the uh, biochemical researcher that was going to blow the whistle on uh, non-consensual experimentation. Uh, he had seen uh, terminal experiments done by the CIA over in Germany where they killed their subjects when they were done with them, and it it bothered him. He ended up getting fed some LSD surreptitiously and then supposedly falls out of a New York apartment. Okay, That was the guy that probably did it. It was George White. These, these are not healthy individuals doing this. The top websites, I'm going to give you four. Again, Freedom from Covert Harassment and Surveillance. FreedomFCHS.com MindJustice.org M-I-N-D Justice, J-U-S-T-I-C-E.org 
That's Cheryl Welch. She's here in California. She was one of the earliest ones to start speaking out about this. Eleanor White, former engineer for the Navy, now living in Canada, Raven1.net, R-A-V-E-1-1.net. And the last one that I'll throw out there is uh, John McMurtry's website, slavery, S-L-A-V-E-R-Y, dot org, dot U-K. John McMurtry has a Master of Science, and he's put out a lot of scientific information there. It's all referenced. This is all stuff that's in the public domain. It's all stuff that other people, not me, other people have spent many years uh, researching this, getting the FOIAs. You know, they made it easy for me. listening to Dr. Terry Robertson. Today's show has been Electromagnetic Frequency Research. Dr. Terry Robertson is a board-certified anesthesiologist who has been in private practice since 1995. Since 2008, Dr. Robertson has served as chairman of the Medical Committee for Freedom from Covert Harassment and Stalking, or FFCHS. FFCHS is a nonprofit organization formed in 2005 that is an advocacy and support group for targeted individuals. For more information, visit the websites www.freedomfchs.com, www.mindjustice.org, www.raven1.net. That's Raven, the number one, dot net, www.slavery.org.uk, and www.surveillanceissues.com. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. To leave comments or order copies of shows, email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Or email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.org for a written statement from Dr. Robertson. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now the question is, are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now, if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? This is a call for all you sleeping souls. Wake up and take control of your own cipher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper. Trying to steal your life, you know what I'm saying? Look what decides yourself for peace. Give thanks, live life, and release. You dig me? You got me? <laughs>